Brian. Yeah. I have a confession. Uh, all right. What's up? I killed JFK. I'm sorry. Why? Oh, I, I didn't kill JFK. Not not Eric Brickmont killed JFK. But I'm I'm very sure that in a previous life, I I assassinated JFK. Explain, please. Okay. I, all right. I had a dream last night, and it was probably the most vivid dream that I have ever had. I mean, I was there in Dallas. Okay. I remember seeing the motorcade. I remember the smell of lilac in the air because I was just, I, I was sneezing the crap out of me. I mean, I'm so allergic to it. And I felt this, this weight, this, this smothering feeling overcome me. This, this, what I could only imagine must have been my sense of extreme guilt for what I was about to do. And I raised the gun and I shot the president dead. I still remember his scream. I'm sorry, I just need a minute. Eric, you have three cats, right? Yeah. Pretty sure one of your cats tried smothering you in your sleep and you imagined the rest. Oh! Okay, all right. Well, that explains why Jackie O was coughing in pear balls. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. <laughs> Sorry, hairball. I, I and I am Eric Brickmont. Hello. <laughs> that was a fun cold open. I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, that was good. It was good. Yeah. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Can you believe that? I think you're right. You know what? I believe you now. When you say there's an actor in me, because I teared up during that. You saw me. You yeah. saw the way I reacted. Yeah. I think it was pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to write the Academy. <laughs> you have to be in a film first before that happens. Just, so just, okay. I don't okay. mean to smash your dreams or anything. All right, we'll take this just audio saying. and we'll put it to like the backdrop of the famous motorcade you know video that was taken of the assassination and there that's that that's a movie <laughs> it can i can win an oscar for a short right under the right circumstances okay yes. that was like what a minute and 20 seconds that's a short and you'll be in it too and you can get nominated for you know best supporting actor or something directing maybe i don't know maybe we'll directing yeah. yeah who knows well let's keep that dream alive shall we <laughs> uh how are you sir i'm good actually i'm really good i have a lot of energy I feel very energetic tonight. Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You're good. I'm good. Do you have a lot of energy? I'm all right. Yeah. All right, I've good. got... And then we're, we both came straight from work, working on Memorial Day. So, I mean, there's that. But, I mean, I'm not exhausted. That's a plus, I think, right? You know what I think it is? It's because I went out and saw a movie last night for the first time oh. since like a month before the baby was born. Yeah. You got a little date night. It was wife. awesome. It was really nice. I went out with uh, my wife, obviously, and then also my sister-in-law uh, and her boyfriend. And we went to see uh, Days of Future Past, X-Men, of course. Oh, my God. So good. So much better than, you know, pretty much everything that came before it. And, my Lord, did they make up for that third disastrous sure. X-Men movie. I know this is not Nerds on Film, but I just got to say, I, I was satisfied. You know, it, it, it does tweak history a little bit so we can i'll allow it all right we'll make it work excellent so time yeah. travel is is welcome here on nerds on history yeah and they'd handle it fairly well i think 
uh, great production value in making it look very 70s yeah. when they were in the 70s. And that's impressive. It really is, though. Because you, you think about the amount of research that goes into it is one thing. But then to be able to bring that to the, the teams that actually are the prop masters and, and the folks who are, who are designing the, the costumes, I mean, it was spot on. It really was. And that's impressive. And I, I really admire the folks that, that do that kind of research because, you know, they're historians in their own right. And they're bringing history alive through movies, even like a sci-fi movie like this. It was really, I appreciated all the, the effort they put into it. Yes, definitely. The production designers are the unsung heroes of both the theater and the film worlds. They go do a tremendous amount of research into bringing these worlds alive. God, think about Lincoln. Yeah, sure. I mean, you were like right there in Lincoln. Yeah. That's actually the funny thing about Abraham Lincoln, a vampire hunter. Aside from the fact that the plot line is total you no know, BS, every other detail that they did visually is 100% historically accurate. That's impressive. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's also pretty cool. Huh. Listener feedback. Yep. This week in Listener Feedback. I'm going to first start off with uh, Luis, who writes... Good day, nerds. Just wanted to say hi and that I love the podcast, and I really enjoyed the last two episodes, the last episodes on Monarchs, and I'm looking forward to part two. Thank you. We appreciate that. If you're interested, there's a beautiful Danish film called A Royal Affair, which centers on around the affair between Christian VII's wife and doctor. It's not 100% historically accurate, but the portrayal of the Mad King is brilliant. It was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film at the 2012 Oscars. Thank you for continuing to present diverse... And interesting topics from history. Well, you're welcome. Australia. So. Really? I didn't, you know, went right over my head. Yeah, the I, day was kind of lost on me for a little bit. And then yeah, I was thinking maybe like yeah. Bolivia. <laughs> Bolivia? Uh, yeah, that's right. Of all right. the places, Bolivia. That's where I normally go when I hear day. Interesting. Uh, I've got one from Mooncat, who, if that's your real name, which I don't think it is, um, good, good for you. Good for you owning Mooncat. Uh, if it's not your real name, then... You know, I'm actually a little disappointed, and I hope that you change that in the future. <laughs> Anyhow, Mooncat is riding on Hysteria Part 2, uh, which was just last week, and it says, Hi, I'm a recent convert to Nerds on History, and I very much enjoy listening to them. However, a couple of issues. William was Dutch, not German. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Dutch is a Germanic language. I got confused. I'm sorry. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. Uh, and was from the House of Orange. Okay. Um, secondly, and this could just be nitpicking, other kings have been deposed before James II, Edward II, Richard II, Henry VI, uh, Richard III, and possibly add William II, add many a Scottish king. I did not want to count those because those were all done by waging wars on one another. And yes, of course, you can consider those deposings. What I meant to say was the only time Parliament chose to depose a king. It was done democratically. It was done as peacefully as it's supposed to king can be done. Um, I was not referring to what is very much heavily the, the War of the Roses is what we're talking about, yeah. basically, in this case. Uh, and then he's got some feedback for me. Also, Boudicca was queen of the Iceni, who ruled what is now East Anglica, not Wales, which is uh, joined to the west of England. And, you know, that is absolutely my bad. What I was talking about in regards to Wales, what confused me, was where the druids were primarily located. Right. And I was uh, I was still kind of thinking that while I was talking about East Anglica. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, it was an honest mistake. Boudicca, forgive me. Please do not come forth through the temporal portal at any point and uh, murder me. 
uh, if you'd be so kind. So, anyway, says, thanks for the great shows. And actually, I just read to the very bottom, Mooncat has a name, and it's not Mooncat. It's Jason. It's okay. I'm just so Stay disappointed. Stay gold, Mooncat. Stay gold. <laughs> I just, I really thought there was a Mooncat out there. Oh, well. That's fine. Yes. Well, that's what he would like you to think. I'm just going to move on from it. Sure. Jason, you betrayed me. Uh, next piece of feedback, we have a double feedback uh, from Todd. Hi, Todd. Uh, it's like this dude just loves us. Uh, the first one is labeled outstanding. Oh, wow. The second one is labeled yet again. Wow. So. Todd, thank you. Twice in a row, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so he says, first off, amazing work. I've been hooked on your podcast for weeks now, and I'm making up with back episodes to get to the, to the newer ones. There are, however, some disadvantages to this. I keep hearing things about, but what about, uh, and then realizing that this is months old and well past feedback time. That's not always true. We take feedback all the time, though we may have already corrected something. So that, and I just found out last week that you're doing listener suggestions. I guess I won't hear about the Moors until next May. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So he wants to suggest that we talk about the Moors. And Noted. just just to politically correctify that as well, we're talking yeah. about um, the folks who are inhabiting Morocco and North North sure. Africa. Um, he was also mentioning that uh, he was kind of disappointed. He thinks we're not mentioned. We're not meant for schools, but um, he does see this as a useful podcast for classes and or a similar process. Um, your obvious passion for ancient Egypt and the Catholic Church shines through, and you obviously enjoy and get wrapped up in your work, and it's infectious. As the teacher of, of ancient civilizations in a Catholic school, it's easy to bring across the passion and the enthusiasm after getting pumped up on the subject, and the kids get swept into it, which is exactly what they need to do. Thanks for your energy and humor and the love of your work. Now, if you could only find an episode on the Aztecs before mid-June, take care, have fun, and best wishes from Canada. Uh, P.S. He makes a reference about Fifty Shades of Black Death, about how the church reacted in that. Um, they had to fill the spaces left by dead clergy with kind of subpar priests. And so you ended up getting some more seeds of doubt and dissension towards the church. Hmm. Makes sense. He said, if you also want to look at one odd conspiracy theory concepts, look up Pope Gregory the Ninth and Cats. Interesting. Not the musical, of course. But right oh, <laughs> see, again, that's where I go. I go, mine took me right to Broadway. Yes, in fact, we find out that Mr. McCavity and Pope Gregory the Ninth, the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of our theater people may have just gotten that. Pretty much Kyle is the one laughing right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Pretty much Kyle and maybe Evan are the only people laughing right now. Hi, guys, by the way. Hi. <laughs> he has another one, <laughs> one uh, where he wanted to comment on the Mad uh, the Mad Monarchs episode. And so I won't go too very long, but he wanted to talk about, we're surprised that he didn't talk about uh, Amet or Ibrahim uh, because he had a has a very long and jaded history, like the fact that uh, in the Ottoman Empire, these were men who were kept in cages. Yes, They would keep true. their opposition in cages. And Ibrahim, which I thought we were going to cover, Ibrahim uh, was nuts when it came to some of this, the stuff he did. We, we were going to do it, and that I was going to do it, actually. But I decided that uh, I really wanted to bring some attention to Farouk. the... Well, not just Farouk, but I was actually going to do it for episode number two. So I, I was thinking that I would uh, do that, but then, then instead I, I started talking about the Spanish monarchy, and I, I thought that was a little bit more, I don't know, significant to bring up, I guess. But you know what? It, it's it's a moot point, because we already said we're going to talk about more crazy monarchs in the future. So. Absolutely. Abraham will certainly be on the list yes. for the next mashup, no question. So thank you for your feedback both times. Much appreciated. Uh, Cam, as always, we appreciate your feedback. 
Can we, yeah, we just we just don't have time to read your feedback today. I'm sorry, but we are uh, doing something exciting. We're actually compiling your feedback into a series of essays uh, because you quite literally have written us the most detailed and most amazing feedbacks that we've ever gotten. Uh, we've probably got pages and pages of feedback from you. Um, if you want to be a writer of our blog, uh, seriously, email us. <laughs> yeah. No, really. Yeah. That's that. That's not. That's a, joke. a thing that's coming. So yeah. Seriously. Email us. Yeah. But uh, I believe it is now time. Now is the time to get on for into us to topic. shift gears. We're kind of light a little bit. This one is actually a piece of listener feedback, but it's June. So how do we make that work? Well, you know how. We just ignore it. We just ignore it. That's exactly. Right. We just go with it. That's right. If we've learned anything from history, just ignore it and it goes away. Um, <laughs> this one goes back to our good old pal Dino. Because oh, Dino, Dino, I love Dino, Dino, we love Dino, and he had uh, he just came back to us. He had been on a break from listening to the podcast, and I'm glad he's back. And uh, of course, we we've had a lot of fun with him. He's given us some great tweets. We tweet him back and forth. We are responsible for him, and now, now being non-single, which is that's right good. And, and Dino, hope, give I'm us hope... an update. We want to know how it's going. Absolutely, totally. Uh, Dino was asking us months ago, who was your favorite president? And he mentioned that his was was favorite was Theodore Roosevelt, and I didn't really have one. And I said, well, Theodore Roosevelt actually was kind of a badass, especially with the way the things that he described that we he had done. And the more I thought about it, I was thinking, you know what? We were thinking about it when we when we were talking about it initially. Yeah. yeah. He deserves an episode. Yeah. You know, it, this brings me back to a conversation I had with my dad in the car on the way to school. And I'm pretty sure it was my my freshman year of high school or something like that. And I remember I was doing a report on the Second World War. And I was talking all about FDR. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he was a pretty good Roosevelt, but he wasn't the greatest. And I was like, are you talking about Teddy Roosevelt? He's like, yes. My father's favorite president of all time is Theodore Roosevelt. And that's so coming from your father. That's that's actually well, I mean, actually, it's not surprising considering how involved with nature and conservation that your dad is. Yeah. You know, he's only worked for the county park system for ages. But your dad's also really, really liberal, too. So to hear him outright yeah. na- name, a, name a Republican president was pretty uh, interesting. But come on, we're talking about a Republican Party that was very, very different than it is right now. The GOP was nothing like it was, or like it is now, I should say. It was it was completely different back then. And that this is kind of before that the switch, right? You know, they're all sitting around the table one day and they're like, all right, you know, we, we, we've done this progressive liberal pony show for a while now, so let's mix things up a little bit, right? It'll be fun. You can do it in the, for a little while, and then we'll switch again, like whenever. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's how the conversation went. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're, they're <laughs> sandwiches. They did it over sandwiches. And... Yeah. I should say it's also a dog and pony show. I didn't mean to, to exclude our canine um, friends out there. I sure. Yeah, it's okay. They'll forgive you. Dogs are always forgiving. Cats are not. No, they're not. Learned they will hate over. you for life. That's yeah, right. That's, that's true. Right. Anyway, no, it's true. You're very right uh, that there were there were different factions within the Republican Party, very much like there are now. Actually, yeah, there there has always been kind of a rightist and a leftist, or I should say, centrist wing of the Republican Party. And there were the more liberal ones were the more progressive ones were the mugwumps. And this is kind of the, I think, the faction that that TR would have been considered a part of. So um, that's of course before the bull and moose. Correct. His own party. Dude started his own, because he was fed up of the systems. He's like, 
you know what? I'm going to just go do my own thing. I'm going to make my own party. I wish more people did that these days. Yeah. It takes real guts to be able to do that. Well, it's also because he couldn't get nominated under the Republican ticket. So he started his own <laughs> ticket, basically. But he gave it an amazing name. It's true. Yeah. I mean, Bull and Moose, that's just, you know, it's almost like Moose and Squirrel. Moose and uh, Squirrel. Yeah, yes, indeed. Not, yes, not, not quite. This yeah. part of conservation, yeah. This is good. <laughs> this is good. Let's take it back to the beginning, shall we? That's how we normally go with somebody's life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, very good, it's a very good place to start. Yeah. Another musical reference. Um, first of all, we, we go to 1858 in New York, New York at this point. That is where TR was born. I'm just, I feel like we know him so well. I'm just going to call him TR. Is that cool with you? That's cool with me. I'm going to cool. call him Teddy. Cool. If that's cool with you. But so, folks, you own you, TR, you, I'll own Teddy. He actually didn't like the word Teddy. He liked, he liked TD more than Teddy. I'm not going to call him that. He sounds like a Jawa. TD! <laughs> Ooh, TD! I'm going to call him TR. If you're going to call him Teddy, fine. So, just know if we go back and forth, that's the name we're going to use. This Interchangeable. is so important for our listeners right now, by the way. <laughs> they sure. need to know this. Of course, they do. It's vital information to listen to this the rest of the This is the most podcast. important thing we're going to say the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> no question. So, let's just let's talk about TR. He was born in 1858. In New York, New York, to a wealthy family. In fact, he was actually Theodore Roosevelt Jr. That's right. Yes, his father was the owner of a very successful plate glass import business. So that being said, he was born to privilege, right? And in New York, you're in this point in time where we're tensions between the North and the South are starting to to escalate, right? It's we're flare up a lot. At this exactly. Point. We're we're building toward a uh, civil war. And uh, but we're also going through another phase, too, you know, post-Reconstruction, uh, which is going to be really what we're talking about as he gets into adolescence. Yeah. We're talking about the Gilded Age, right? The Industrial Age of the United States. The Industrial in, Revolution. Right. And how that changed America. More particularly, what it did is, you know, you had a lot of these, these men who were self-made millionaires, you know, billionaires by today's standards, who pretty much owned... America, right? You had the railroad barons who were pretty much, um, because they were interlinking the the vast regions of the country, they had a lot of control over over money because of where things were, were going. And in New York, New York, you had an infamously corrupt political machine called Tammany Hall that was uh, controlling the political system within that city. And to be totally fair, Roosevelt was kind of part of that at one point. You know, he was, it was a democratic system though. So he was from the other side of it. Yeah. But it was one of the reasons why Roosevelt couldn't be elected mayor when, when he, uh, when he ran from mayor. I don't think he had a chance of winning against that machine. But what I really like about him at this point is that even though he was born to privilege, he was not raised to think that he was above other people. No, absolutely. And I think that it speaks a lot to his character. I mean, later in life, even as president, he really viewed capitalism as a, a necessary, but I think he almost saw it as kind of a necessary evil in a way. And he was absolutely this proponent of the Industrial Revolution. He And he got a lot of things moving even faster once he became president, but he was always very cautious and wanting to warn of the the moral implications of what uh, what it could all lead to. And, uh, you know, it would also fascinate me about his youth is that he was sickly, which is a pretty big parallel yeah. to what we know him as today, because he was Mr. Outdoors, you know, that's what we, we perceive him as. I mean, he's quite literally a mount of a, of a man. I mean, his face is on Mount Rushmore mm -hmm. for so many reasons, but his strength is so permeating from that from that image. And you hear these stories about him, right? We have a great one that we'll tell you folks later. 
uh, that really shows what a what a tough guy this guy was. But you're right. I mean, he suffered from horrible debilitating asthma, terrible asthmatic attacks at night that would uh, be life threatening, really. And for any other person, they would just kind of go along with it and hope they survived. What does Teddy Roosevelt do? He challenges himself. He he kicks asthma's ass. I didn't even know that was possible. I mean, he just keeps staying active and going out and leading this this life in contrast sure. to his actual health. Well, who, you know who did that with him? His father. Like, that was a bonding thing for them. Yeah. So much to the point that when he got to being a young man, him being so outdoorsy got him inspired to do boxing and weightlifting. So right away, we're seeing, we're sowing the seeds of a presidential badass. You've, <laughs> you've essentially got Rocky Balboa as president. No, 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 no. At this we need, point. No, but, no, but rich. No, no. We, we have to take this the next step forward because Rocky Balboa is one thing. We're talking about, this is the human embodiment of the mythical Chuck Norris. I'm not talking about the actual Chuck Norris. I'm talking about the, the mythical internet. The one who says that Chuck Norris doesn't go hunting because nothing implies margin for error. Exactly. Chuck Norris goes killing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. But this is the actual human being. Folks, I challenge you and Dino to do this. Take every Chuck Norris joke you say and substitute TR with it. <laughs> I guarantee you'll get the same reaction. Absolutely. It's true that under his mustache, there's a fist. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, he was homeschooled up until, I mean, college. And the dude got into Harvard, by the way. Yeah. Unbelievable. But very sad, though, because, you know, Unfortunately, when he was a sophomore, his father passed away. And that I think that he took it pretty hard. Oh, it was a to... defining moment in his life, really. Sure. And, and he wrote about it often. It, okay, so you got to understand that for somebody like that to take a father figure like that and have them taken from their life so early at that really key developmental stage, that's that's pretty traumatic for anybody. But for somebody like this who fought his entire life to be pretty much what his father wanted him to be, and not be able to to finally show the fruits of that labor. I mean, I'm sure his father was you know so proud of him, and I'm sure he knew that. But to not really see that be able to come to fruition, that's tough. Yeah, and it, it wouldn't is. be the only tragedy in his life either. No, not at all. It's I mean, it gets sad. But if you talk about triumph over adversity, TR's it. I mean, he used that grief as a motivator, right? So he pushed forward, and he didn't just finish Harvard. No, 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 no. That wasn't good enough. Magna cum laude. He yeah. graduated in 1880. Um, unbelievable. But then he wasn't sure what he was going to do next. So he thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm affluent. I've gotten a degree from one of the best schools ever. <laughs> you know, what's next? Clearly law school. So he, being a New York, New York native, goes to Columbia, Columbia Law School, for like a year, maybe maybe less, because he gets, he gets bored with it, doesn't want to do with it. So what does he do? Runs for state assembly. And gets elected. Naturally. The youngest man ever elected in New York history to yeah. the state assembly. It's incredible. And while he's there, I mean, he attains a ton of different titles, too. Like, at one point, he was minority leader <laughs> uh, already, which is mind-blowing. He was also captain of the National Guard at some point. Funny. Kind of sowing the seeds for what happens later on, right? He did lots of great work while he was in the state assembly and had really established a name for himself early on, right? But then... As you said, tragedy struck. So just after finishing college in 1880, uh, around that time when he started law school, he married uh, his first wife. Alice Hathaway Lee. Exactly. Yeah. And in on February 14th, 1884, he lost both his mom and his wife. She was only 22 years old. And this is right after the birth of their only child. Yeah, exactly. Uh, two days after, in fact. Uh, and God... 
that's just it's so sad to see somebody who is so passionate so full of life exactly and so in love with life and so probably just you know inspiring everyone else to be so alive around him to just yeah. keep losing i mean clearly people. this is a, an incredibly charismatic individual because yeah. seeing how much he's been able to accomplish already at this point in his life it must have just broken him and, and it clearly did because he he didn't even care for his daughter his daughter was left to the care of his eldest sister for three years yeah he and he returned to her until she was three years old yeah and he spent two years just kind of like this is a movie i want to see a movie about the dakota years why haven't we seen a proper film about teddy roosevelt right he if any president deserves a movie it's tr i mean we're talking about lincoln right and obviously right. you know lincoln's been immortalized on film many times and the most recent one focused on just a very specific point in his life but i can see uh either some sort of you know hbo miniseries done or again maybe focusing like you're saying on those dakota years this this person needs proper introduction to film he Absolutely. just doesn't have it totally and he's appeared in films like Newsies, but he, uh, when he was, no, that's of course when he was Governor Roosevelt, not President Roosevelt. Um, or, you know, Night at the Museum, obviously. Of course, with Robin Williams, right? Yeah. Who did a decent job, I think. Yeah, I, I'd say yeah. so. But yeah, I mean, this this experience, you know, drove him to the Dakota Territory, where uh, which was funny because to think it's the Dakota Territory at this point. It's not even a state yet. It's just Dakota. There was no North or South at this point. It was and, just the territory, yeah. Yeah, and he just he lived as a cowboy. You know, he he ranched cattle for for two years and just kind of had this what I assume was a very solitude existence. And I'm sure he wrote about it in his diaries about it. He was a very vocal person. And then you know he decides finally in 1886 he's going to come back to politics and he's going to come back to the life he tried to rebuild what he what he had left. Right. So he goes back and he tries running for mayor, of course, and loses, like we said, because. Again, New York is in the the midst of this political machine we were talking about, Tammany Hall. But it's also interesting because he gets to rekindle a relationship that has been there the whole his whole life, right? His his next door neighbor, his kind of uh, childhood sweetheart, if you will, uh, Edith Kermit Caro, worst middle name in all of human history. Also, the name of one of their sons too. I know. Yeah, Kermit Roosevelt. Hi, Kermit. all Kermit the Roosevelt. Here. <laughs> Uh, or I just think of like Edith's baptism. Can you imagine that? <laughs> and we name you Kermit. <laughs> I bet if we were to look deep enough, there's probably a Saint Kermit somewhere too. Oh, it probably exists. Entirely green. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's patron saint of frogs. Absolutely. And pigs. In fact, that, that's, um, I think, martyred for that fact. Because let's face it, folks, it ain't easy being green. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. But these guys have been, these two were childhood friends, right? And like you said, next door neighbors. And in fact... Fun little fact, they both watched the funeral procession of Abraham Lincoln together from their window, from like their one of their houses. Yeah. When they were like just children. Seven, eight yeah. years old. Yeah. Just kiddos. Mind blowing, right? That one president was there to observe another president's funeral procession. Kinda gives you goosebumps. In fact I do have yep, uh, yep it happened. Especially for a president so closely associated with assassination as well. Uh, yeah, it's true. Ironically, and uh, yes, indeed. One of those, one, only one of those uh, few times. Sure. Yeah. And um, so anyway, after he rekindles this relationship with, with Edith, who would, of course, be his wife until for the rest of his life, he takes public office instead. And rather, he, instead of trying to run for the state assembly, uh, he becomes the civic services commissioner. 
and did some wonderful things uh, with that. So, oh, and by the way, after he married Edith, uh, he also decided to do some writing. And did boy, did this guy do writing. He wrote four books about the history of the frontier and the winning of the West. Yeah, just on that subject. Yeah, 30, four volume. Yeah, yeah, 35 books total in his life. Right. Uh, very impressive. Although, you know, keep in mind, these were not novels. These were all very much uh, informational uh, volumes. But he was the, the perfect person to be able to write something like that. You know, somebody yeah. who lives those experiences and, and writes to them and understands them and knows them from a, from a very personal sure. uh, personal way. Absolutely. And who better to be the guy who is the millionaire cowboy, right, at this point, so than T.R. to write that. Uh, and when he goes back to public life, he, um, he first doesn't go back to New York. He gets appointed uh, the Civic Service Commissioner in Washington, D.C. So he actually goes straight to a federal office and he gets some exposure in Washington. And um, starts to rub elbows a little bit. And then finally, in 1897, uh, I should rather, I should say 1895 to 1897, he goes back to New York and becomes the president of the New York Police Commissioner's Board. He was pretty much the commissioner of New York City, which is, of the New York City Police Force, which is uh, freaking awesome. Uh, what he did was he modernized the NYPD. He turned it into kind of the framework of what we had today. Right, and he did that through a couple of different ways. He replaced the the appointment of the civic service system, um, and he he required physical and education standards for being in the police force. You know, he uh, he required medical and written exams on police officers. Uh, did systematic training for police officers, and he also encouraged people to adopt new methods for ident- identifying, communicating, transporting, and using weapons uh, at work. So this dude pretty much helped like create the infrastructure for the NYPD. Yeah. Something that it's still uh, very heavily based off of today. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and he did this in two years. It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to talk about assertive leadership, this was this was his style. And finally, he, uh, in 1997, uh, he gets appointed the assistant secretary to the Navy under President William McKinley, who had just been uh, inaugurated at this point in time. And while he was doing that, he kind of saw some friction that was going on uh, in the Spanish colonies that were happening in the Western Hemisphere. Particularly, we're talking about, of course, Cuba, Guam, the Philippines. And so that made him kind of intrigued, I should say. Uh, now, some critics would call him, this would be him being a warmonger. But not really. I mean, Roosevelt was a big, very big believer in the Monroe Doctrine. Right. Right. And for those who don't know what the Monroe Doctrine was, it refers to President James Monroe, president in the very early half of the 19th century, who basically, he his foreign policy dictated that the only power that is allowed to be in the Western Hemisphere is the United States. Right. Right. Or the, the, or the independent Latin American countries themselves. Correct. But the, but essentially, he interpreted it to mean the dominating power would be the United States. Yeah. He wanted to keep European involvement out of Latin America as much as possible. Correct. And uh, by this point in time, most of Latin America, I think, had fallen, had become in, independent of Spain at this point. But there were still these outlying countries. So being that he's the assistant secretary of the Navy, he can start to prep for what he views as a just war, right? So he yeah. starts to prepare ships and he basically strategizes a blockade at this point, right? Or what, what could be very easily viewed as a blockade. And it's it's very much worth noting that while we're still kind of close to the subject of him being uh, an accomplished author, 
uh, one of his most popular books and one book that is still you know widely regarded as being the must read on the subject. Uh, so it makes no huge surprise then that he would be uh, the perfect person to be able to plan something like this out and do it preemptively. Sure. If you if you kind of learn your lesson from the War of eighteen twelve, you kind of know where I'm going from on this, right? Right. So I never underestimate. Yeah. What a foreign power is up to. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, I I I can understand where he's going, but at the same time, I kind of understand his critics as well because the the changes that he would later make to the Monroe Doctrine when he was president, who of course directly reflected off of his time that he spent in the military and his his view of this impending war with Spain, right? Which we haven't gotten to yet, right? Which we haven't. In eighteen ninety eight. He resigns from his post in the administration as a cabinet member, or rather a sub-cabinet member, and decides to enlist Yeah, in the army. Because he didn't just want to organize the war, he wanted to fight in it. Yeah. You know? You think about how many people who are in civil service today, who are, you know, past their fighting prime, if you will, none of them, not a single one of them today, would, at the start of our involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, get up and enlist. Exactly. None of them. We've never happened. Bush flew a plane onto a carrier. That's about it. <laughs> right? We're and, gonna get, and, we're... and he also organized a very nice banner that said Mission Accomplished. Yeah. That took a lot of work. Let's, took... give, let's give him some cred. You know, it's not easy to get printing and then have to have it fly out there and have it look that nice. It had to be airdropped onto an airliner. So just the logistics behind a helicopter and rolling up that much paper is... Yeah. That that is is tough. So W, you get some points there. But but <laughs> we're anyway. talk about W again later. Oh yeah, no worries. But not only that, he doesn't just join the military; he joins the freaking cavalry. Yeah, right. This is the cavalry didn't make its last charge until mid World War Two. Uh, again, ironically, I think it was also in the uh, the Philippines. I think it was their last charge that they had made trying to fight off the Japanese. Um, but this was much earlier than that, of course. We're talking about the Spanish-American War. McKinley convinced Congress to pass a number of resolutions, which was tantamount to a declaration of war. We, they never actually officially declared war, but it was enough that it was a binding resolution that they said, basically, we were going to send military force in to Into Cuba. To yeah. Cuba. And then likewise, because of the other uh, outlying Spanish presence, also occupied Puerto Rico, of course, Guam, the Philippines, uh, and es- essentially established the American Empire. Right, we were now an imperial power. We never uh, called ourselves that, but that's of course not. Essentially, of course not, war. because we have a president, not an emperor. Right, so it is what it is. But anyway, when he joins the cavalry, he joins the cavalry as lieutenant colonel. <laughs> Which, by the way, for those who don't know the military ranks, colonel is the, the rank right before general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's second highest you can go, and then he just becomes colonel, and he charges in <laughs> into Cuba on horseback. You know, obviously they had to get the boats over there first, but nevertheless, he charges in, and you you have a great story you want to share about this. This is awesome. It's pretty incredible because at, at one of the um, one of the last battles before the Spanish would actually surrender, uh, their goal was to was to take a, a hill, and this is trench warfare at this time, right? So they were all dug in, and they were ready to jump over and get to the next trench where the Spanish were held up, and uh, he had given the order. For everyone to jump out and run across the field and guns blazing, by God, that's exactly what he did. And he led his men only with all of the uh, all the fire going on around him, all the cannon fire. Nobody heard the order except for a couple of guys who were standing next to him. So it was him and five guys running and charging towards the Spanish. 
Two of them fell in battle. He only had three of his comrades left. They're fighting. They're shooting. They're they're jumping almost over to the next trench. And he turns around and realizes nobody else is there. <laughs> nobody else heard the order. So it's just him and these guys. So they turn around and hightail it and run all the way back. Awkward. Yeah. What does he do? Well, he, he rallies his troops back of the trench, make sure that every person He's like, hears um, this time. guys, I said charge. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay, fine. We're going to do this again. Right. This time with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have a roll call. Okay? So as I point to you, I want you to say your number. Say your number. One. Yes. Okay, you. Two. two. Yeah, okay, good. I, I, I think it some, went something like that. Um, and then they, they do and they charge and they take the the Spanish and and they take. The, I, the I just want. I wanted to bend in that trench just to hear what the Spanish were saying. I was like, "Is he coming back? The things that are coming back? I don't think he's coming back. That was just ridiculous. I mean, that was crazy. This guy came over here, killed a whole bunch of our guys, and just left. Yeah, he's, he's not. not coming no, he's not. Coming, no, he's definitely not coming back. back. No, 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 no way. No way. No. Oh my God, he's back. He's got friends. And he brought friends. And he looks pretty pissed. <laughs> Just one of the few stories that that highlight this guy's character. I mean, right, he was a bear of a man, and it's it's seriously, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and so of course he literally had a had a guiding hand in in. Uh, and I have to say, sorry, victorious. Yeah, I, I have to interrupt you for a moment. It was Kettle Hill. Kettle Hill. I was searching for the name while I was saying it, and I couldn't quite get it. It was Kettle Hill. Thank you. So Kettle Hill. So he literally had a quite physically had a hand in uh, ensuring victory in Cuba. And I mean, likewise, I mean, now this dude's a war hero, right? He, they helped succeed in the uh, Spanish-American War. So when, naturally, when, now that he's a war hero, who does McKinley want as his running mate when he goes for re-election? It's kind of obvious. It's obviously going to be Theodore Roosevelt. And in 1900, the dude is elected the vice president of the United States uh, at the age of 42, I think, at this point. 41, I think. I think he was 41 at the time. Yeah. Because he was just about to become 43 when he ended up becoming president. And we'll talk about that in a second, right? So wait a second. What are we talking about here? Because he was vice president. Well, unfortunately, McKinley was shot and yeah. assassinated uh, by a maniac. He was shot four times, I think, in the chest. Yeah. Um, Held on for a good eight days. week. Yeah. Yeah, and then died later of his wounds. Same thing happened to President Garfield, too. Shot in public. Yeah. Uh, died a week later from the from the eminently probably what well, not the gunshot wounds, but probably more the infection that happened from the wounds. Well, they told later. him, Mr. President, put down the plate of lasagna. But did he listen? No. <laughs> and let that be a lesson. Just let it. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. This guy has already made a history for being the youngest man ever elected to the New York State Assembly and arguably one of the youngest men to be vice president, but not the youngest and now he's the youngest man to ever become president. And to this date, that that distinction stands. But Kennedy would be the youngest man to be elected president. Right. Because by the time that, that Roosevelt would have been reelected, of course, because he, he was awesome when he ran, got reelected, he would have been over the age of 45. So though technically he was the youngest until uh, Kennedy became president in 1961. So huge precedent that was being set now. And he as we've already established, was kind of a rabble rouser, right? He didn't really care for the status quo. Uh, and he made that very clear. Like, he, he could be 
charismatic, but he can also be very, very aggressive with his with his agenda. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so he set an agenda when he became president that I'm going to change things for the better. Right now, this whole thing with, with the trusts basically running this country is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to put a stop to it. Well, let, let's, let's put it into perspective for a minute yeah. because Teddy Roosevelt did something that really no other American president had done up to that point. And he, he challenged what a president could do. He would never violated law, and no. he never would. His ethics would never allow that to happen. No, he never once thought what he was doing would have, would have violated the laws of the Constitution. Right, but he took the presidency, and he exercised every other power that he could. And he, he definitely broadened executive power, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at all. I mean, there are some who are also critics of that kind of uh, approach to, to governing. And to, and to have a Republican who the Republican Party has always been about, whether the ideologies have shifted or not, has always been about the limiting of the federal government. Yeah. To have a re Republican go in and say, the executive branch isn't doing enough. We need to expand this a little bit more and to get some of these things done was really quite striking, right? I, but I only think Teddy Roosevelt could be the one to do it. Yeah. At that time in history, there was nobody else who had the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Who had the guts the to be able to do it. The chutzpah. That's exactly the yeah. word I was looking well, for. He had a pretty close rival, right? William Jennings Bryan was the, the favorite of the Democratic Party at this point. And also a big fan of the people. And actually, in a way, they were kind of fighting for the same things, just in different against ways. Against each other, yeah. Yeah, just against each other, exactly. But at the same time, he, he obviously came out on top for a reason. I mean, he he's beloved uh, because of his personality, because of his way of of being a presence and taking that to the next level. Uh, and he's done so much good. I mean, you think about all of the accomplishments of his presidency and, you know, you don't, you, it makes you wonder, why is he not talked about more? Why is he not compared to more? If I was running for president today, because I remember when, when Obama was running for president the first time, there was a lot of parallels that were being drawn between him and another Roosevelt, right? FDR. FDR, yeah, sure. And I'm thinking, why aren't we looking to Teddy Roosevelt to be that person, to be sure. that person to, to be a role model after? Uh, because FDR had a lot more controversies uh, with him. Yes, he had his war, and that was the the big thing that you know Obama was essentially inheriting war and and a bad economy. And FDR, while not exactly inheriting the Second World War by any means, was inheriting a, a terrible economy in, in America. So yeah, okay, I can see those parallels. Yeah, but when you're talking about running on a ticket and wanting to be seen as that progressive next step, you know, the person to move us forward. Why not use Teddy Roosevelt as your, as your example? Sure. It just makes me sad. I think he's overlooked, but now that we've kind of gotten into his presidency, let's talk a little bit more about it because sure. there's a lot of very significant things that happened. Uh, we can't of course ignore uh, the Panama canal, which was one of his first real efforts in office to, to yeah, shake things up and get things moving. Well, for sure, logistics, because what he wanted to do was he felt like there needed to be a shortcut between the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. And up to that point in time, the only way you could do it was to sail around the bottom tip yeah. of South America. Which is a huge journey, one that my great-grandfather once took. And risky, too. Yeah. Right? And it would take, uh, I think, almost a year to make that trip around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And by uh, by authorizing the uh, the Panama Canal to be made... Right. Well, first off, there's the whole political aspect of. Well, first off, they don't we don't have any sovereignty in Panama, so how do we make that work? 
Um, well, that's where the Monroe Doctrine comes in. Exactly. Where his amendment to the Monroe Doctrine comes in, right? Right, exactly. Because now he's expanding what we can do. Uh, had partially, yeah, a, a lot to do with his with his involvement with the Spanish-American War, but it was also the fact that this was allowing us to now take a much more active role in Latin American com- uh, countries, more or less whether they wanted it or not. And that's, right. again, one of the, the controversies of his of his presidency, really. Sure. Uh, because later presidents would abuse it, sure. Uh, and we've seen this with the with what the CIA has done in Latin America. That's undeniable. Uh, the the countries that have been overthrown yeah. and taken over and, and nation building essentially. You know, it, yeah. it, that's for our gain and benefit. Yeah. And he's guilty of it a little bit as well. You know, uh, helping to take over Panama in in a way that would be more stable and, and more in favor of American involvement to make sure that the Panama Canal got built. Well, but, he was fond of quoting that Western African proverb, right? Speak softly, but carry a big stick. But carry a big stick, exactly. That exactly. was one of his favorites. And that's yeah. exactly what this ended up becoming was, was this big stick diplomacy. Right. Right. And uh, But then again, I mean, yes, that was he was kind of just kind of shoving his way in there. But think of a boon it was for economic trade, right? For sure. world trade. And I'm not saying that it didn't have a positive result. I'm just saying we, we need to play the devil's advocate sure. as well because – while we're painting him as being an incredible person, and he really was, uh, no one person is perfect, and there's going to be drawbacks and uh, there's going to be uh, shortcomings for everybody. So that we, we have to kind of acknowledge that while he did it, and we understand why, uh, the results of it in the future would not be all that great. And it was because of his direct involvement. Yeah, and plus, think of the other things he did, right? I mean, let's talk about the square deal for a second. The square deal was basically him going after the trusts, I mean, he, he literally flat out said the trusts were evil. <laughs> you well, know. he was the trust buster. Right. He was the guy who came up with the idea of trust bust. No, he did not do as many as his uh, his successor, Taft, but he set a template in place, right, for this progressive era where, no, America has gone the wrong way. We need to bring it back to this prosperity that we've been striving for, right? In a way, kind of laying the foundation for the American dream, even though the American dream would come in the 1950s. Like, this is kind of the early seedlings of that cultural mentality. And one of the ways he did that, too, is he helped establish the FTA. I mean, the pure, yeah. he was the president who, who approved the Pure Food and Drug Act, which is the approval of a federal agency that regulated the food and drugs for consumers. At this point, I mean, we all have heard about Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, about the meat processing. And yes, exactly. we talked about it when we had Maureen on, the, yeah, on Maureen, the show. I was just going to say that. Yeah, you know, uh, he helped make Americans' lives better. Of course, the FTA is now have a whole other problems with it, and it's heavily bureaucratic, but at this point in time, it was a needed piece of action that needed to take place. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Brian. I think that our, our listeners, you know, they, obviously it's up to them, but... Oh, oh, yes. Well, here it comes again. Another advertisement. just expected it at this point. Yeah. Of course. It's happened for every episode. For how many episodes now? Anyway. Who's coming through? Oh my God! Hello, guys. Teddy, Mr. Roosevelt, we were just talking about. I know. I could hear you talking from a mile away, and by a mile away, I mean a long time ago. But I'm here today to talk to you and your listeners about something vital. And important to America. Well, go, go on, please. Ladies and gentlemen, my people of America, 
I have always been and always shall be a supporter of the great entrepreneurs of this country, and also cookies, which just so happened to go hand in hand with the very message that I have had to deliver to you today. I want to tell you about Antoine's Cookie Shop. Antoine's Cookie Shop is available to you on this thing that you call the internet today. If you go to antoinescookieshop.com right now, there you can find a wide variety of cookies which you can order on each coast of this glorious country and will be delivered to you on Mondays and Fridays of the week. And there are a wide variety of cookies. Have you gentlemen had a chance to enjoy any of them? Oh, my God. Antoine makes, without question, the best chocolate chip cookie I have ever had in my life. Uh, the toffee cookie for me, hands down. Oh, and the Andy's Mint one is fantastic, too. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so also, in addition to that, the snickerdoodle that he does. And the, there's the espresso chocolate. There's the espresso the chocolate. chocolate. But the white macadamia chocolate, <sighs> white, white chocolate macadamia. Dude. Dude. Oh, and the white chocolate oatmeal. So, ladies and gentlemen, we know Antoine. We know him personally. We, we have, know we his have cookies. tasted his cookies. We have tasted every single cookie that this man has made. Seriously, they do not disappoint. He does peanut butter cup cookies. He does chocolate mint cookies. Now, let's say you're gluten intolerant. Does he have gluten-free cookies? He yes, he does. does. And they are freaking awesome. Yeah, and we're talking about, you know... Ordering by the dozen here, so that's that, that's that's what you're gonna find. A buck a cookie, not bad. Not right. bad at all when you consider what you're getting, and he'll deliver. You know, it, it, obviously through the mail, not him personally. He's not gonna fly all around the United States. He's a busy man. He's making a lot of cookies, but uh, you can get those delivered right to you. And you know what? He gets better, folks. Oh, does it? Uh, if you go to Antoine's Cookie right now, from now, uh, for the rest of this month, that being June 2014. And use the coupon code NERD, that's N-E-R-D, you'll get 10% off on your order. Pretty sweet deal. It's absolutely a sweet deal. Awesome pun, by the way. <laughs> I didn't even that. think about it. Gentlemen. Yeah, yes, Mr. President. What am I doing here? You oh, right. pretty much did everything for me. Now, I'm not one to split hairs. More like heads, gentlemen. So, sorry, Mr. Mr. President. Sorry, Mr. President. We're, we're sorry. Please don't, don't hurt us. Please continue. Thank you. And as I was saying before I was rudely interrupted, good old Antoine, in addition to his amazing website that he has up right now where you can order those cookies, will also be having a Kickstarter project starting soon. And be sure that you do your American duty and contribute. Goodbye. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Thank you. That guy's insane. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he had an arrow on his leg while he was doing that, too. Oh, yeah. That's, that's nuts. Oh, yeah. That's nuts. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. you know what, folks? Seriously, though, if you're a fan of nuts, order these freaking cookies. Seriously. They are so They're damn really, good. really, good. <laughs> I'm having to lose weight right now, in part because of Antoine. Oh, yeah. Like, he's his cookies will change your life. Yeah. Like... That sounds hyperbolic, but it's not. Like, you you will have a zen moment when you bite into <laughs> one of these cookies. Everything will make sense for about a solid two minutes. And again, that's Antoine's Cookie Shop.com. Coupon code NERD. Get 10% off. Totally. 
Uh, where were we? We were oh, we were talking about we'll talk uh, about the guy who just came in here and right. We were talking about. I'm pretty sure he threatened us. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know what? I feel honored to be threatened by him. Sure. Kind of crazy. We were talking about the uh, the reforms that the president made during yes. this time period. He really ushered in this whole progressive era that lasted would last for the next 20, 30 years, really. Up until the beginning of the of the Great Depression. Now we can definitely feel some of those ripples happening again, because a lot of the topics that he was bringing up, particularly in terms of environmentalism, are coming back around again today. Sure. You know, we're talking about preserving America's wilderness. We're talking about preserving uh, the bison, right? This is right. something that, that he felt very, very strong about as the American buffalo. And not only that, but he single-handedly... <laughs> And I mean that. He single-handedly declared 125 million acres of national forest be set aside, specifically to be protected. Uh, he established the very first national wildlife, wildlife refuge. Uh, and, and I mean, for somebody like me, who loves the outdoors, who grew up with a father who, like I said, has worked for the county park system around here for a long, long time, that's significant. That's important. Who else was going to do that? I mean, who else even showed signs of doing that before this? I don't, I don't really, I, nothing comes to mind. So for someone to take that step and that, that takes a lot of money. That takes a lot of organization that takes the, the building of whole, you know, federal regulated government, uh, organizations to be very, to be created, to be able to do something. Right. Like I mean, that. he basically is the reason why responsible for national parks. Exactly. You know? And in fact, of course, there is in Dakota, or in, I think, is it North Dakota or South Dakota, there is the Theodore Roosevelt National Park Yeah, that is named after him because of the territories that he lived in, in his youth. Uh, so such a such a powerful personality, such totally. an active man. Uh, it's no big surprise that, of course, he would be reelected on his own ticket, uh, you know, a few years later. Sure. But I think, for me, one of the most defining moments of his presidency uh, was the way that he handled foreign policy. Sure. I mean, this dude won the Nobel Peace Prize because he negotiated peace between, in the basically ending the Russo-Japanese Japanese war. war. Exactly. But we need, to, we need to expand upon that because that's not just enough to say that. He was the first American to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. And the up until President Obama, the very first American president to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in office. All other American presidents were out of office at the time that they, they received the, the award. Sure. Yeah. So big deal, right? Huge deal. And uh, it's also interesting to note that when he was in office, he uh, he got to do something else a little really special, which is that he got to walk his niece down the aisle. Now, who is his niece, ladies and gentlemen? We are referring to none other than another political badass, Eleanor Roosevelt. That's right. Right? Eleanor Roosevelt got walked down the aisle to her wedding to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. How cool is that? One president walking down the aisle, the niece of who would be first lady, someone who would help draft the the charter for the United Nations later on in life, and she's marrying another future president. Just the history is just... Huh. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. If, if you were to go back in time and observe this event, yes, you'd be a little creeped out because they're all cousins, but... Distant cousins. Distant, distant cousins. But more than that, more than that, uh, your mind would just be simply blown exactly. by the amount of personality, character, and progressive thought that was in that room all happening at that same moment. Sure. 
Pretty and incredible. So then, you know, as he as he leaves office, you know, he decides that you now he's he's good. He's done his bit for the government. So he decides he's not going to run for for re-election in the uh, election of nineteen, I think nineteen twelve at this point. And instead, who does he do? Is he he handpicks his successor, who is his vice president, William Henry Henry Taft, or William Howard Taft, I should say. I'm sorry. And Taft was trying to do a lot of the good things that Roosevelt had started. Yeah. Particularly, he he helped bust a lot of trust, I should say. But unfortunately, he ultimately, because he was a Republican, he ended up siding with the more conservative wing of the Republican Party, the ones who were the anti-reformers, you know? These uh, incredibly wealthy individuals. Yeah, they, they, were, they were called the stand patters, basically. Who were showing off their wealth. Exactly. And something that, that Roosevelt absolutely hated. He, the kind of Republican Party that we are used to seeing today, essentially. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, he, here's a guy who is quoted as saying that he despised anyone who didn't work. And it didn't matter where you were, if you were the, the bottom of the barrel or the top of the top. Uh, those two parallels he absolutely hated. He re- it remi- admired and respected the working man. And to see somebody born into privilege as he was take that philosophy and run with it and live his entire life by it, it's no big surprise that he would be so disgusted by those who were so affluent and showed it off and didn't work a day in their right. life. Right. So, you know, he takes a couple of years off and does some pretty cool ex-president stuff like... Like going to Africa. Like going to Africa <laughs> with the Smithsonian. <laughs> So and then uh, I have to talk about this for a yeah. moment because this is this is another element of me of that connects with my family in a sense, right? Because my grandfather wasn't a huge hunter; he didn't hunt a lot. But what he did go out to hunt, he had a philosophy, and that is you use every single part of the animal, right? If you're going to kill that animal, you don't do it just for show; you do it because you're going to eat it and you're going to use those parts of it. And quite honestly, even though Roosevelt is known for being this big game hunter and shooting very endangered species that are endangered to now now of course like the white rhino and what have you he did it and brought all of those bodies back he was actually uh, very skilled with taxidermy very early in his life and insisted on the preservation of these specimens to be brought back to the smithsonian institute so they could be used to teach about these animals uh and to help preserve and protect them What's kind of sad is I'm sure there are plenty of people who saw that and were inspired to go out and do the same thing, but for the, all the wrong reasons. Sure. Well, that's what you talked about, but con- conservation, right? Not yeah. preservation. Right. Conservation. You use your resources, but you use them wisely. Exactly. So, yeah, totally. And uh, what he also <laughs> did is he took a very successful tour in Europe around the same time, around 1910 we're talking about at this point. So I should say not 1912, 1910. Uh, my apologies. But then he goes back... And he realizes, I left the country for a little bit. Guys, I had you totally set up. I go away for a little bit, and I come back, and this is what you bring me? Yeah. This is ridiculous. So he decides, well, okay, you know what? 1912 election, I'm back in the game. Oh, you want to support Taft and not give me the nomination? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'll start my own party. Mm -hmm. You know, the progressive party. The one where he gives his speech, and he asked, how does he feel? He feels as fit as a bull moose. <laughs> and that's why they named it the Bull Moose Party. Because you don't mess with a bull moose. That's why. Why? Because they're huge. <laughs> and their antlers will destroy you. <laughs> Pretty much. Motorists get killed running into bull mooses. You know, because of the sheer weight of it collapsing onto their car. But the moose just gets up and walks away. He's like, I'm, s- I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
mom and he runs away <laughs> exactly he's just yeah, like what was, was that hiding. was that a car are you gonna be right i'll be fine but ouch god god my shoulder oh, this is the damn. third car this week oh, it's gonna that's gonna bruise what the hell's wrong with humans oh, <laughs> damn it <laughs> you know pretty cool though at this point this is one of his most famous incidences when he was campaigning for a speech as he was trying to to reassume the presidency the dude gets shot in the chest, in the chest of all places <laughs> right dude gets shot okay and- we're laughing for those of you who don't know he was fine yeah. uh we're, we're laughing because what do we what he does next is he finishes the speech wounded wounded and with a hole in the speech because not only did the bullet get lodged in his chest, but <laughs> before that, that, yeah, he had a 10-page speech rolled up in his pocket along with his his tin eyeglass case. The bullet obviously was slowed down a little bit by passing through both of those, gets lodged in the muscle in his chest. And his reasoning is... So okay, in other words, you're saying he's got pecs of steel and it and it blocked the bullet from from going into his heart. He's like Superman, essentially, yes. That's, what, that's, that's what what basically what we're saying. That's basically what we're saying. It's unbelievable. Uh, this guy... His philosophy is, okay, I've been shot before. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I'm not coughing up blood, so I can totally do this 90-minute speech. Well, and I'm sure excruciating pain because his peck just blocked a bullet. Yeah, but he gets up there and he does it. He's bleeding out into his shirt. The audience is unaware of this because he has his, his, you know, his jacket on over him. But he's bleeding out while he's giving this 90-minute speech. And only then, only at the end of the speech, does he agree to go to the doctor. It takes a week off. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, this was a man who practiced judo in the White House. And he, we're not kidding about this. No, we've, no. we've joked about judo before. No, no. This is 100% true. We talked about Thurgood Marshall. This is re- legit. He challenged foreign heads of state to judo matches just to spar with them. And he would win. <laughs> it's insane. It's a, totally insane. It's totally insane. But, you know, this guy loved to do all this. He loved to do it all in front of people because he would call... More press conferences, more press, more people, more parties. He would open up the White House and have as many eyes in there as possible. Sure. Because he was a showman. Of course he was. He loved to be on all the time. Uh, And God, you know, even though he ends up losing, right? He he doesn't get reelected. He doesn't let that slow him down. Which would have also been, a, if, if he had, that would have been a president. Unprecedented Senate, third right. term. Which exactly. Which later, of course, his relative. His fifth cousin, Franklin, yeah, would, would have would, done. Would accomplish and yeah. do. And in fact, run for four terms, although the fourth term wasn't for very long. But yeah, three full terms. That's what, you know, FDR yeah. was able to end up doing later. Right. But I find it amazing that, you know, again, he goes on another expedition, even though his health is already pretty poor. Uh, ends up going down into into South America and, you know, decides to write another book all about his experiences. Uh, but when he comes back, his health Just another is, book. <laughs> yeah, just another one. Just throw yeah. another one on there. Uh, but his health is never quite the same after that. Yeah. And uh, it's very sad because our story ends with him at the age of 60. Yeah. Uh, in all rights, this man would have lived... I, I believe if he hadn't had a coronary, a coronary embolism... He would have lived to be 100 years old. Yeah, I have no doubt. But I believe he was quoted as saying, you know, he believed himself that he has had the happiest life that he believed any man could have ever wished for. Yeah. And this is after overcoming so much tragedy, right? With losing his, both his parents at a young age, as well as his his first wife. wife, Yep. Right? Uh, And, you know, overcoming all this adversity, he, he just didn't let it get to him. He just pushed forward. Yeah. And that's inspirational. Very much so. And I, I think that uh, 
one other aspect of him that I love is that he he loved his children. Yeah. He had six children total. With his second wife, he had four sons and uh, a daughter. And he loved them all to death. When he wasn't being a rancher and fighting in wars and revolutionizing our country, he spent all of his other time with his family. He admired them. He saw them as being the very thing that you hope your children do, and that is to rise above you and, and go above and beyond. And they all were very forward-thinking individuals themselves. Uh, his youngest, unfortunately, died in the First World War, and mm. very, very tragically, but he admired him for his tenaciousness, for trying to match his father and going out there and doing what he thought was just and right, because obviously FDR was, or not FDR, excuse me, TR was very much behind uh, American involvement in the First World War. And if he had been president at the time, I can guarantee you America would have gotten into that war a lot earlier. Sure. One other thing I have to mention is that he was the very first to ever invite an African-American to dinner at the White House. And this is, of course, the famous Booker T. Washington. Right. Uh, one of the most important civil rights leaders of all time. And, uh, you know, Teddy realized very early in his in his presidency, we're talking about 1901. So we're talking about the first year that he's president. He's only been president we're for a short time. talking the dawn of the 20th century, folks. Yeah. Invited him to, to dinner. That, again, speaks to him. He, he would publicly speak out against racism and discrimination he was a huge, huge this advocate This dude was a progressive this. with a capital P. Yeah. Absolutely. And it has to be mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's mentioned. a couple of things that we, now that we've talked about his life and a couple of the fun little facts along the way, there's a couple of things we need to mention as well. Like, for example, what's the one of the, the couple lasting legacies of his life that we have today? We have a couple that are pretty obvious, but a couple that are pretty subtle, right? Yeah. The most obvious is uh, one that I was, I got a little warm the heart for and i wish you were there with me sir when i was there but is on central park west and 79th street in new york the museum of natural history yes goosebumps you get when you go in there because oh, yeah. first of all you have this iconic bronze statue of roosevelt in his cavalry days mounted on a horse looking out into central park on these gorgeous iconic steps you know um and it's beautiful beautiful and of course you walk in and you see this again the same this iconic view of a tyrannosaurus rex that is all that is now we know is inaccurately put together the example because he's he's sitting too high up would have actually broken his back to have him stand that tall and of course i can't help but think about night at the museum which (laughs) of course course bases off of this same place it's just really cool to see how much respect and how much of his footprints are still there in new york city particularly in the new york public library as well where he has a gorgeous portrait it's just it's very cool it's very very cool to see that he made his imprint uh on new york and he also made his imprint on the country as well um but let's talk about the other thing that maybe we don't think about as the the thing that the thing that we cradle at night (laughs) into sleep because he's not just a rough president he can be gentle too he can be soft and cuddly exactly Uh, we're talking about the teddy bear exactly there's so many stories about how the teddy bear got its name and they all come back to Theodore Roosevelt, but really only one of them is accurate. Um, and it's it's pretty incredible because it has to do, again, with what Roosevelt enjoyed doing a lot, which was hunting. Uh, he had gone out on a hunting expedition uh, with the mayor of Mississippi. and Like you do. Like you do, you know, as one does. And he had terrible luck. 
everybody else was doing great. They had all spotted bears, but not a single one for Roosevelt. And, you know, when you're out there shooting for bear and you're, you know, you're hanging with some pretty important people, they want to impress. And so they, they actually tracked down a bear uh, with their with their hunting dogs and they kind of cornered it. It was an older bear. couldn't really get away. It was injured in the process. Uh, and they brought it before Roosevelt to have him shoot it. Really? You think this guy is going to accept what you bring in front of him like that? No way. Trapping an old and, and you know, weak yeah. bear? No, he, was, no, no. He, he was disgusted, and he would not shoot the bear. He absolutely refused to do it. In fact, he, he considered it to be unsportsmanlike, and he didn't want any involvement with it, and he told them to put it down and to end its pain, and he didn't want anything to do at all with killing this bear and when that hit the newspapers people ate it up with a knife and fork and spoon every end every utensil they had around them i mean this was and they asked for seconds too they did in fact a a drawing a political cartoon was created by clifford berryman uh who shows roosevelt standing there putting his hand up refusing to shoot this bear turning his back on this this poor defenseless little cuddly bear with these great big round ears and looks very iconic of what a teddy bear is these days and uh that was picked up in and taken advantage of um when it was put up in the washington post in in november 16th 1902 uh because you'll find there uh the, this new york candy shop owner morris mitched him saw the cartoon, started selling tiny little uh, stuffed bears that he had in his in his toy shop, in his ca- or his candy shop, uh, and called them teddy bears. Named them after the president. And people loved them. They went absolutely nuts for them. He couldn't produce them fast enough, so they started mass producing them and formed the ideal novelty and toy company. There you have it. The teddy bear was born, and it, it had... Uh, all out of, out of sympathy for this for this poor defenseless bear, which eventually was shot and killed. So you know, mercifully not, though, mercifully though, thankfully the the teddy bears that we we all love and cuddle don't reflect that fate of the bear because that sure. would just be traumatizing and horrible. But that's sad. You're required to once to put your petty teddy bear down. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> But um, it's what Teddy would do. It's what Teddy would do. But I can't help but but see this tower of a man and hear these stories and sure. hear his legacies. And you know, when the more and more I think about him, though, the more and more I think about George W. Bush. Mm. I'm just gonna say it. I think he's the anti W. <laughs> okay. I really do. You think about matter and antimatter, right? In principle, they're very, very similar to one another, but they're the exact polar opposites. If they were ever meet, there's this massive explosion, right? It's all theoretical, but hey, there you go. You have something that's essentially the opposite. Yeah, you have an inversely. Yeah, exactly. You have in matter, you have a particle, or I should say, an atom, with a uh, a positively charged nucleus. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah. It's positive and neutral, and then a negatively charged electrons that are going around there. Right. Well, so when you have antimatter, you have a positively charged electron right. and a negatively charged uh, nucleus. So the two cancel each other out when they meet. Exactly. You think about Roosevelt's life and all the things that he did. You know, he was a ranch guy. He was a hunter. He was a very accomplished statesman. He was in the military and did well in that. And then you look at W, and it's like the exact polar opposite. W did all the same things, but he just did them all horribly. <laughs> 
And I'm sorry, I don't mean to get super political here, and I don't, I don't mean to let those colors fly all the time. But to be fair, W isn't really liked amongst a lot of Republicans either. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. so you know, I just, I see the two of them, and I see this man that W could have been. Sure, you know, and uh, I'm really happy that Roosevelt did it first, but I just wish there were more Roosevelts out there. Yeah, I agree. He's truly inspirational. Yeah. Um, and yes, of course, he's not perfect, as no president is. Um, but the things he did and the life, not just even the things he did as president, just the life he chose to lead. Yeah. And he seriously lived enough lives for two people. He did because he, look at all the things he did, all the things he accomplished. There was nothing that he was going to let get in the way of him doing what he wanted to do. And folks, we, we know you're going to write in and we know you're going to tell us about all the other things that we missed. And we, we know them. I'm sorry, we couldn't include everything in this episode. This episode's already going a bit longer than we, we were planning on it being, because he just did so much. So we know that he improved the Navy. We know all about his involvement and in the ending of the Philippine-American War. Uh, we, we know all the other amazing things that he did, but we're going to challenge you to go out there and learn about everything else that we didn't mention about this Tower yeah. of Man, because he really was an incredible person. We can't do him justice in a yeah. single episode, so we want you to go out there and uh, and read a little bit about him. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of really great documentaries that have been done, and I can't help but PBS call... has a couple. Of them, yeah. Oh yeah, well the the PBS series known as The Presidents, which has run on the American Experience for years. It's not one single series, so to speak. Sure. It's it's kind of a compilation of all the different you know episodes they've done on different presidents. Um, they did one TR, the story of Teddy Roosevelt or Theodore Roosevelt, uh, which was really quite fantastic sure uh so i highly recommend uh that one yeah, and then there's one. also uh theodore roosevelt the american lion sure which is a more recent documentary which is uh, another really great you've movie. also got annie's biography on him which is uh, awesome yeah um not only that but folks quite sadly of the presidents in the 20th century theodore roosevelt does not have a presidential library Especially, ironically yeah because of the, of the man who wrote the most books i think of any modern president uh he he doesn't uh, however, what you can do is you can go to the Theodore Roosevelt Center dot org, and uh, they they're basically trying to compile what would be the equivalent of a library by by showing all of his diary writings, all of his published writings, all of his presidential papers. Great uh, for both scholars and laymen alike who want to go and learn more about this iconic U.S. president, statesman, and humanitarian. Too. And I don't think we mentioned it, which is kind of silly, but we should. He was also our 26th president of the United States of America. Yes. Uh, you can also head over to TheodoreRoosevelt.org, where the Theodore Roosevelt Society uh, has a lot of really great stuff on their website. And uh, real great, just kind of short little biographies about him, the different uh, the different Teddy Roosevelts that there were. It's it's a quick read. Just will take you a couple of minutes. So if you're on a lunch break right now or a 15-minute break at work, maybe you're driving in the car well, wait till you stop driving at a stoplight or something. You can quickly absorb these and uh, do so because they really give you some amazing, uh, sure. amazing insight into how incredible this guy really was. Absolutely. And of course, we did too. And I'm glad that we did. I really I am like glad. I feel like we paid tribute well to him tonight. I think so. Yeah. I really did. And as you know, we are a podcast that is growing. And the way we can continue to grow is through your support. So please... In addition to helping us out by giving us great feedback or reviews, which we've talked about before, go to nerdonomy.com and click on that donate button because you can help us by sending out 
any small amount of money that you can. You know, if you can't do the affiliations that we do through Audible or through Amazon, or of course, by going to Anton's, Antoine's, I should say, cookie shop, um, give us just a couple dollars. You know, the PayPal account we have will take anything over $1. That's $1 is the minimum that you have to submit. And, you know, you can help support us and keep Neuronomy going and so that we can give you more great content. I think Teddy Roosevelt would want that. I agree. I, I really do. I think being as uh, a big a fan of history and nature as he was, and that's oftentimes leading back to the very topics that we're talking about, right? You know, changing our future for the better and making sure that we learn from our mistakes. That's what that's what we're all about here at Nerds on History. So you want to keep that going. You want to keep Teddy's dream alive. Please do it, Brian. Saying yeah. Go to our website. Click on that donate button. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, we love to hear from you. We always get to as much listener feedback as we have time for. Sometimes we run out of time. Sometimes we get a lot. But you know what, folks? We want to read your your feedback on air or at least respond to you uh, directly via email. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is to contact us. Right. Also uh, through Neuronomy.com, right? Neuronomy.com, listener feedback button. And, of course, you know, connect with us via social media. We love it when you go over to our Facebook page and leave us posts and post us things. Or you can connect with me directly on uh, Twitter at the Brickmont, Or uh, me personally, too, at Brian Moriarty. That's right. And uh, we, we hope to hear from you folks soon. Indeed. And until we meet again, folks, stay nerdy. Tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye-bye. Later. Sorry. Seriously? Oh, 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 it's brown. Okay, it was Saki. I knew it was her. Stupid cat.